This is Sean J. Grind, I'm okay, Sean Grind, and today I'm talking to a wonderfully talented singer that goes by the name of Esper. How are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Not much over here. So, to start, what is your musical background? My musical background is a very layered and patchwork quilt-like place. <laughs> um, I was brought up in a family of jazz musicians, actually. Um, kind of goes back two generations. My grandfather was a musical director and a conductor and a trombone player. Uh, he worked with the likes of Shirley Bassey and Frank Sinatra and uh, Tom Jones, Judy Garland, like the list does go on. And these are some of my biggest influences, uh, not surprisingly so, because I kind of grew up around that atmosphere. Um, then my, my dad is a, a jazz trumpet player and again, a composer. My mum's a sax player and a singer. My auntie was in the West End. Like it literally goes on the whole family. Um, and it's all in that kind of, it's all in that kind of jazz, theater, Hollywood kind of world. Uh, that was like my kind of foundation. Um, I then went on to kind of follow the lineage of jazz through naturally into hip hop and R&B. Uh, where I stumbled across this kind of mishmash sound which married my two loves together, which was hip-hop, rap music, jazz music, through the likes of like Dilla, um, The Roots, Erica Badu, D'Angelo. It really hit the nerve when I found that. Perfect. The cover of your 150th and Broadway EP is heavily inspired by your interest in the universe and cosmos. Where did that interest begin? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> so right to think of it. Yeah, I got really into this whole study of astrology when I was about 12 years old. And I found myself completely fascinated and enthralled by the effect that the planets have on us as individuals. And I started studying my birth chart and just trying to learn about, you know, just I was intrigued by this, this study. I was intrigued by the way that the planets are supposedly affecting the makeup of individual human beings in regards to their birthday, their birthplace and their birth time. Yeah. Um, I kind of got fascinated by it. And around the time when I was designing the front cover and the concept for 150th and Broadway, my first EP, I started to um, go and study with an astrology expert in New York in that area. So it kind of ties together. Um, yeah, that, that's, I guess that answers your question. <laughs> cool. So, although you're London-based, you spend quite a lot of time in New York. What is it about the city that attracts you? I think it's the men. <laughs> <laughs> what are you no, saying I'm about joking. London men then? <laughs> They're all right too. I don't mind. I'll take both. No, gosh, I'm joking. I'm not joking. I might be joking a bit. Um, yeah, no, it's not. It, it's it's the atmosphere in the city is, for me, the, the perfect blend between what we have in London in that kind of gritty, raw, unmessed with um, ambition. But it's it's kind of like doubled up it's like the speed is just a lot quicker which definitely suits my personality i'm someone that like wants to decide something make take the actions in which to make it happen make it happen complete it next and that happens to me in new york and sometimes it takes me actually flying over there working with the creators that i work with out there working with my collaborators like eric Ark elliott and those boys and the, um the underachievers and other producers that i work with and then bringing it back to london once it's sort of been catalyzed over 
over there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It takes like a, it, it takes bringing myself out of my comfortable, my comfortable environment here in London into somewhere scary, bustling and <coughs> whatever to make things happen. I like doing that. I, I do that with LA now as well. It's, uh, it's, it's um, something that I is very important for my creative process. Yeah, so you, I don't know about now, but you actually stayed in York, didn't you? Or like you have yeah. a place where you stay, right? So what would you say are the biggest differences, uh, especially for someone like me who's never been to New York? Because I've often heard them compared, like London and New York, as being very similar. But what are the biggest differences, would you say, in daily life between the two places? I think it's the the fact that it's so small, it's so condensed. Um you can kind of walk everywhere or it's a very, very short taxi journey and everything's on this grid, you know, so you don't need to know the area to be able to work out where you are because it's like there's there's the avenues that go across and then there's the streets that go up. So you can be like, oh, we're on 1st and 19th and then they're like, you know, exactly where that is on the grid. So I found that really good because I'm dyslexic and I find maps really hard. Um, that's a big difference between London and New York. And I think... Um, it's very similar in the way that it's like a cultural melting pot. But I think the similarities between London and New York is the fact that the city is made special in regards to the rest of the world's cities by the fact that it is such a, it's such an intense mix of cultures and of people and of industries and everyone is on their game and everyone has ambition, in my opinion. That's, that's why I love it there, but it's just intensified in New York. Cool. So you started spending time there when you turned 18, right? Mm-hmm. How would you say New York has influenced your sound and artistry? I feel that it's affected me. Originally, I went out there to do jazz singing. Um, they have a, a big culture of jazz clubs uh, down in Greenwich Village and up in Harlem. And it's, it's very real. It's very authentic. Um, all the jazz musicians moved from New Orleans in the 30s to New York and since the early 40s when 42nd Street became this hub for like jam sessions and Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis and Charlie Parker were all playing there and playing on each other's gigs. Um, that, that kind of culture has remained but it's transferred over to hip hop and that's what I found very exciting. So when I was working with the Flatbush Zombies a lot, um, what I loved is that we'd go to shows and then there'd be like, you know, Joey Badass would just jump on on stage with them and then get involved with that. And then it'd be the next day I'd pop up on stage with the underachievers and Eric would come on with me and we'd do a track together. It was like this kind of sharing, caring, jam session approach to making hip hop music. I really affected my sound. It, it, it meant that I became somebody who used to, I transformed from somebody who used to sit in my practice room with the piano writing music on my own to being somebody that has, that craved collaborating, mm. you know? That's where I find my uniqueness when I share. Cool. You previously described your latest track, One For One, as a signpost for your sound and your evolution. Can you tell me more <laughs> about how the track came together and the direction your sound is heading in? Um, it's, a, it's a great question. I feel that uh, One For One is really like the bridge track that takes me from my two EP sound, which I feel is a kind of maybe left field, hip hop, R&B influence, jazz kind of sound, um, bridging me over into 
my the sound of my record, my album, which is shaping up to be firmly rooted in pop in a joyful, young, expressive, accessible pop sound, which is obviously completely lathered in hip hop, R&B and my jazz roots. But um, it's just changing the core of it because I really uh, set my intention to have my music be listened to and shared with many, many people on a global level. So in order to make that happen and to be of service to a, a wider audience than kind of just hip hop fans, although that's very valid, for me, it's more important to, um, to have my music be heard by many, many people, as long as I can keep with the integrity of who I am as an artist, which of course I'm going to do because I'm not that kind of processed kind of person <laughs> um but one for one yeah it, it for me it's it's still firmly firmly rooted in um it's still firmly rooted in in my hip-hop r&b sound but it's just got a lot more pop mentality to it i wrote this track in uh october 2014 oh really yeah <laughs> That's a long time yeah. coming for this new direction. Time coming, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been writing music um, in this sound world for longer than I was even working with the Flatbush Zombies. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's gone through many different formations since then. But, um, yeah, it, it was... Um, it, it started back then, so finally we're, we're there. <laughs> yeah. You've long been a fan of Grime, and you worked with gigs on the song Swong Song, which Eric mm -hmm. Elliott produced. What Grime artists were you into growing up? Uh, gigs. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> um, yeah, Gizzy, Wiley. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really listened to loads and loads of grime and loads of garage when I was growing up. I was yeah. like a completely channel you child. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I think I saw uh, in another interview that you were shouting out maybe Jammer and Skepta. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely new additions. Yeah. JME's been um, really influential to me recently, especially being a fellow vegan. Big up the vegans. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, he's wicked. Um, but yeah, gigs for me was like the, the ultimate. And the fact that I actually got to work with him on Swan Song was kind of insane. Um, just, yeah, I mean, I wrote the track with Eric uh, like many months before we ever got it played to, to gigs. And um, I, I literally, I hadn't met him at that point. And he just got sent the track. Like he'd never heard of me. He'd heard of Eric, I think, but he had no idea who I was and instantly just called me and was like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what this is, but I just love this song and I'm going to do something on it. Awesome. And I was like, oh, great, thanks. You know, we had wicked chats. And the next thing I know, he sent me back this verse that was like about two and a half minutes long. It's like the longest verse I've ever had from a featured rapper. And it became, you know, more of a collaboration than a featuring. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I, I was expecting just... the verse to end after 16 and he just kept going. Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that man will continue. If he's passionate about something, he doesn't let anything, doesn't let anything go. And just the fact that he jumped on the video with me just meant a lot. And, you know, we're going to do some shows together. It's just, yeah, it's just really blessed to have the support like that because it's kind of hard like being up and coming you know to get support from people that are very established and, and your you know influence influences to have them be so on board was, was uh it is quite a big deal yeah <laughs> yeah so how did your recent headline show in london go it was amazing yeah. thank you yeah it was really cool it was completely sold out which was just so blessed and yeah my band are just incredible i love live live is like 
the epitome of everything. It, everything comes together for me when, when it's live, like the whole reason why I am an artist. Because you get to kind of experience your audience, your listeners firsthand and like how your music affects them. And it's like a really good training ground to kind of work out the kind of music you want to continue to write in the studio. Like, you know, when I'm performing Swan Song, it moves people in a different way to when I'm performing like this tune, Still I Wait, which is from my first record, which is like much more of like a rap thing. And it's like, okay, well, that moves them in this way, this moves them in that way, you know, and it, it, it gets you to tailor make your music for your audience. And that's what I'm about. I'm only about service. I'm not about self-indulgence to any stretch of the imagination. So it's, it's really, really important for me to be doing live shows. And it's where like, you know, all those hours in the studio, all those hours of working on your style, and working on your visuals and rehearsing with your band it all comes together for that one hour performance and you get to make a difference it's really important so what would you say are the biggest things that you change from like the final songs that you release online compared to the live versions? Mm-hmm. Um, it's mainly arrangements. So when I'm working with a band, which mm. I've, I've been working with bands since I was like 14 years old, I'm kind of used to changing up recordings and making them translate to live. However, because this music is quite prescribed sometimes in terms of like the beat and the bass lines and stuff, like we, we kind of learn it exactly as the record. And then as we get used to it, we find ourselves stretching out like, for example, the I'll change the chords quite often. So the keys player will play like a reharm. You know, I do this um, this Craig David cover on my live shows, and I took Craig's chords and I just completely put them in a minor key. So it like it's kind of like become like a sad emo version of Fill Me In. It's quite funny. <laughs> um, things like that. You know, you can be quite creative when translating things from recording to live in terms of sound quality and actual music itself. But the vibe just amps up by like a hundred percent. Like you just can't match it in recordings. Yeah. And uh, Craig's actually a fan of that cover, isn't he? He is, bless him. He's just been so good to me and shouting me out on Twitter and supporting me on radio. He's a good guy. Yeah. So how have you managed to keep your project so coherent given how wide ranging your sound is? What's the process when you pick tracks for them? Because listening back to your EPs, Mm. there's no one specific style even though i know you <laughs> you fit or you may see yourself in a certain realm of that alternative r&b it still goes between different genres i would say so how do mm-hmm. you do it <laughs> <laughs> i think that the key is outside of music um with my sort of practice of like being myself and and trying to stay firmly grounded in who I know I'm as a human being, I'm able to go to the studio and retain a sense of identity, regardless of who I'm working with, regardless of what genre I might be trying to pull out of my sound in that particular moment, because I stay authentic to who I am. And I think that is really, really the key. Um, it means that I can experiment and, and, and swing slightly into the jazz side, like I did with Swan Song, or swing slightly into the pop side, like I'm doing with 141. Um, or, or the garage side with like my Craig cover, for example, but yet still regain, retain some sense of coherent identity. And I think that that might be the key is just like knowing who I am, you know? I think you're right. So this is might... kind of outside of the music. You know? Yeah. So in light of that, this might be a really difficult question, but if you had to choose one song that defines Esper, what would it be? And that can be um, beyond your own music. 
Um, wow. Take your time. You have seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the um, a Buddhist chant Nom Yo Ho Renge Kyo. Can you write that on Skype? Because I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> I can't spell it. That's kind of semi a joke. Okay. Um, because I because I can't think of a song outside of my. It can be within your own music. That musical, truly outside. defines me as an artist. Yeah, it's it's not like I wasn't saying that you have to. It was just an up to you. Like, no. Really your... Yeah, I I I guess the the perfect answer to that would be the the, the latest song that's been released, which is One for One. Mm. It it for me it does actually tie up a lot of my roots. Like you've got some jazzy chords in there. You've got like quite an angsty guitar based chorus, which is hugely influential to me. Like that sound of Jimi Hendrix and like those kind of rock bands of, of, of the 70s. Um, and then you've also got like slightly more like grimy, rappy elements, like in the second verse was like heavily Drake inspired. Um, and it's just firmly rooted in pop music, which is definitely signposting the direction that I'm going in while still retaining some of those influences. So I guess you're only ever as good as the last track you put out and you're only ever defined by the last track you put out. But I've got a portfolio of 200 songs, so I am ready to go. Like you've only just heard like the surface of what I'm giving to the world. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, I'm, I'm excited. What are your plans <laughs> for the next 12 months then? Um, I'm going back to LA in April to continue writing my album with the Hall of Fame songwriter Linda Perry, uh, which is just a ridiculous blessing and opportunity. I'm so lucky to be writing with, an, with a writer that has been so influential to pop music across America and, and won so many Grammys. Um, I am going back to Bali to work with my meditation teacher to continue my self-inquiry to better myself and allow allow my music to um, <laughs> to stay stay true to who I am. I am going to be playing festivals this season, yay! And potentially a very exciting support tour, but I can't talk about that. So watch this space for that. I guess the the goal for the next twelve months is to really experience each month each week each day and just um just recognize like how lucky i am every day to to be on this journey because you never know where it's going to take me or where it's going to blow up or where it's going to finish you know we never know so that's my only goal really to stay in the moment yeah that's that's cool um <laughs> so speaking of bali you've traveled quite a bit what places other than london and new york would you say have inspired you Japan, where you are right now. Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah, I got to play four shows in Japan last year and um, it was amazing. It's my first time there, like the clash of cultures between that like traditional Buddhist culture and then like the crazy Harajuku girl culture. It was just like wild, yeah. really, really wild. Um, and the level of appreciation from the fans is is next. It's just like, it makes you think, God, Londoners, Londoners are so snooty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, I I love that. I, I really want to make Japan and the East like a big target for my audience and for my music. Yeah, uh, yeah. I look forward to that. <laughs> do you I, live in Japan? Yeah, I do. Um, I've been here oh. almost three years, so I'll be moving back to London in August. But 
I will tell you that after because I want to get one more question in before. Sorry. Okay, sure. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No okay, so I guess this is the final question. Your interest in art is ingrained in every aspect of your musical identity, from the cover art to the instrumentation to the videography, which you all handle. How has your relationship with forms of art beyond music changed or grown since you started singing? Wow, I love that question. <laughs> I need to write that down to ask myself every day. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, yeah, it's changed dramatically, actually. As I started to take responsibility for like the visual side of it and the styling side of it, um, I basically just deepened my respect for all art forms and the um, the fact that they can translate into each other. They kind of blend, you know, like. An artist like Bjork's been really influential to me because she takes her visual side of things as seriously as the music. And that's why I think she's an experiential artist. Um, and it's just so inspiring to, to have that kind of set the bar to, to a level like that, you know. It's meant that I've had to do a lot of study because I've spent my whole life studying music, you know, studying everything from the notes on a viola to how to orchestrate a brass section to how to sing falsetto and, you know, like all these kind of intricacies in music. And then when I started taking on an artistic project like this and like my EPs, I had to take a step away from music and acknowledge that I had no bloody idea what I was doing when it came to my visuals, but I did have concepts. So, um, I, I have collaborated with incredible makeup artists um, and obviously, you know, video directors and just worked with them in kind of uh, crafting my concepts into a reality. Um, and I've learned a lot about, you know, filming, about makeup, about photography, lighting, um, angles, you know, styling and uh, everything really I'm, I'm, I'm like a curious child in this world and I want to remain that way kind of continuing my study I guess to deepen my art and to deepen how it can be of service to people great answer thank cool. you so much yeah that, that's it for the questions amazing 